0: chapter twenty two of the return by walter de la mare this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by carina schultz he was utterly wearied but he walked on for a long while with a dogged unglancing pertinacity and without looking behind him then he rested under the dew soddened hedge-side and buried his face in his hands once indeed he did turn and grind his way back with hard uplifted face for many minutes but at the meeting with an old woman who in the late dusk passed him unheeded on the road he stopped again and after standing a while looked down upon the dust trying to gather up the tangled threads of his thoughts he once more set off homewards it was clear starry and quite dark when he reached the house The lamp at the roadside obscurely lit its breadth and height. Lamplight within, too, was showing yellow between the Venetian blinds. A cold gas-jet gleamed out of the basement window. He seemed bereft now of all desire or emotion, simply the passive witness of things external in a calm, which, though he scarcely realized its cause, was an exquisite solace and relief. His senses were intensely sharpened with sleeplessness, the faintest sound belled clear and keen on his ear the thinnest beam of light besprinkled his eyes with curious brilliance as quietly as some nocturnal creature he ascended the steps to the porch and leaning between stone pilaster and wall listened intently for any rumour of those within he heard a clear rather languid and delicate voice quietly speak on until it broke into a little peal of laughter followed when it fell silent by sheila's rapid rich and low the first speaker seemed to be standing probably then his evening visitors had only just come in or were preparing to depart he inserted his latch-key and gently pushed at the cumbersome door it was locked against him with not the faintest thought of resentment or surprise he turned back stooped over the balustrade and looked down into the kitchen nothing there was visible but a narrow strip of the white table on which lay a black cotton glove and beyond the glint of a copper pan what made all these mute and inanimate things so coldly hostile an extreme almost nauseous distaste filled him at the thought of knocking for admission of confronting ada possibly even sheila in the cold echoing gloom of the detestable porch of meeting the first wild almost metallic flash of recognition he swept softly down again and paused at the open gate once before the voices of the night had called him they would not summon him for ever in vain he raised his eyes again towards the window who were these visitors met together to drum the alien out he narrowed his lids and smiled up at the vacuous unfriendly house Then, wheeling, on a sudden impulse, he groped his way down the gravel path that led into the garden. As he had left it, the long white window was ajar. With extreme caution he pushed it noiselessly up and climbed in, and stood listening again in the black passage on the other side. When he had fully recovered his breath and the knocking of his heart was stilled, he trod on softly till turning the corner he came in sight of the kitchen door it was now narrowly open just enough perhaps to admit a cat and as he softly approached looking steadily in he could see ada sitting at the empty table beneath the single whistling chandelier in her black dress and black straw hat she was reading apparently but her back was turned to him and he could not distinguish her arm beyond the elbow then almost in an instant he discovered as drawn up and unstirring he gazed on that she was not reading but had covertly and instantaneously raised her eyes from the print on the table beneath and was transfixedly listening too he turned his eyes away and waited when again he peered in she had apparently bent once more over her magazine and he stole on one by one With a thin, remote exultation in his progress, he mounted the kitchen stairs, and with each deliberate and groping step, the voices above him became more clearly audible. At last, in the darkness of the hall, but faintly stirred by the gleam of lamplight from the chink of the dining-room door, he stood on the threshold of the drawing-room door and could hear with varying distinctness what those friendly voices were so absorbedly discussing his ear seemed as exquisite as some contrivance of science registering passively the least sound the faintest syllable and like it in no sense meddling with the thought that speech conveyed he simply stood listening fixed and motionless like some uncouth statue in the leafy hollow of a garden stony unspeculating oh but you either refuse to believe betty or you won't understand that it's far worse than that sheila seemed to be upbraiding or at least reasoning with the last speaker ask mr danton he actually saw him saw him repeated a thick still voice he stood there in that very doorway mrs lovett and positively railed at me he stood there and streamed out all the names he could lay his tongue to i wasn't unfriendly to the poor beggar when bethany let me into it i thought it was simply i did indeed mrs lawford a monstrous exaggeration flatly i didn't believe it shall i say that but when i stood face to face with him i could have taken my oath that it was no more poor old Arthur lawford than-well i won't repeat what particular word occurred to me but there the corpulent shrug was almost audible we all know what old bethany is a sterling old chap mind you so far as mere character is concerned the right man in the right place but as gullible and as soft-hearted as a tomtit. i've said all this before i know mrs lawford and been properly snubbed for my pains but if i had been bethany i'd have sifted the whole story at the beginning the moment he put his foot into the house "'Look at that Tichborne fellow. Went for months and months. "'Just picking up one day what he floored old Hawkins, wasn't it? With the next. "'But, of course,' he added gloomily. "'Now that's all too late. "'He's moaned himself into a tolerably tight corner. "'I'd like to see, though, a British jury comparing this claimant with his photograph. "'Pon my word, I would. Where would he be, then, do you think? "'But, my dear Mr. Danton—' went on the clear languid voice lawford had heard break so light-heartedly into laughter you don't mean to tell me that a woman doesn't know her own husband when she sees him or for the matter of that when she doesn't see him if tom came home from a ramble as handsome as apollo to-morrow i'd recognize him at the very first blush literally he'd go nuzzling off to get his slippers or complain that the lamps had been smoking or hunt the house down for last week's paper (laughs) oh besides tom's tom and there's an end of it that's precisely what i think mrs lovett one is saturated with one's personality as it were you see that's just it that's just exactly every woman's husband all over he is saturated with his personality bravo mr craik good lord said danton softly i don't deny it but that broke in sheila crisply that's just precisely what i asked you all to come in for it's because i know now apart altogether from the mere evidence that-that he is arthur mind i don't say i ever really doubted i was only so utterly shocked i suppose i positively put posers to him but his memory was perfect, in spite of the shock which would have killed a—a more sensitive nature. She had risen, it seemed, and was moving with all her splendid impressiveness of silk and presence across the general line of vision. But the hall was dark and still. Her eyes were dimmed with light. Lawford could survey her there, unmoved. "'Are you there, Ada?' she called discreetly. "'Yes, ma'am,' answered the faint voice from below. "'You have not heard anything? No knock?' no ma'am no knock the door is open if you should call yes ma'am the girl's scared out of her wits said sheila returning to her audience i've told you all that miserable ferguson story a piece of calm callous presence of mind i should never have dreamed my husband capable of and the curious thing is at least it is no longer curious in the light of the ghastly facts i am only waiting for mr bethany to tell you From the very first, she instinctively detested the very mention of his name. "'I believe, you know,' said Mr. Crake with some decision, "'that servants must have the same wonderful instinct as dogs and children. "'They are natural, intuitive judges of character.' "'Yes,' said Sheila gravely, "'and it's only through that that I got to hear of the—the mysterious friend in the little pony carriage, Ada's magnificently loyal.' i will say that i don't want to suggest anything mrs lawford began mr craik rather hurriedly but wouldn't it perhaps be wiser not to wait for mr bethany it is not at all unusual for him to be kept a considerable time in the vestry after service and to-day is the feast of st michael's and all angels you know mightn't your husband be er coming back don't you think craik's right mrs lawford it's not a bit of good waiting Bethany would stick there till midnight if any old woman's spiritual state could keep her going so long. Here we all are, and at any moment we may be interrupted. Mind you, I promise nothing, only that there shall be no scene. But here I am, and if he does come knocking and ringing and lunging out in the disgusting manner he— Well, all I ask is permission to speak for you. Upon my soul to think what you must have gone through. It isn't the place for ladies just now honestly it ain't besides supposing the romantic lady of the pony carriage has friends are you a pugilist mr craik i hope i could give some little account of myself mrs lovett but you need have no anxiety about that there mr danton so as there is not the least cause for anxiety even if poor arthur should return to his earthly home may we share your dreadful story at once sheila and then perhaps hear mr bethany's exposition of it when he does arrive we are amply guarded honestly you know you are a bit of a sceptic mrs lovett pleaded danton playfully i've seen him and seeing is disbelieving i suppose now then sheila i don't think there's the least chance of arthur returning to-night said sheila solemnly i am perfectly well aware it's best to be as cheerful as one can and as resolved but i think betty when even you know the whole horrible secret you won't think mr danton was was horrified for nothing the ghastly the awful truth is that my husband there is no other word for it is possessed possessed sheila what in the name of all the creeps is that well i dare say mr craik will explain it much better than i can by a devil dear the voice was perfectly poised and restrained and mr craik did not see fit for the moment to embellish the definition lawford with an almost wooden immobility listened on but the devil or a devil isn't there a distinction inquired mrs lovett it's in the bible betty over and over again it was quite a common thing in the middle ages i think i'm right in saying that am i not mr craik mr craik must have solemnly nodded or abundantly looked his unwilling affirmation and what has been continued sheila temperately i suppose may be again when the fellow began raving at me the other night began danton huskily as if out of an unfathomable pit of reflection among other things he said that i haven't any wish to remember was that i was a sceptic and bethany said ditto to it i don't mind being called a sceptic why i said myself mrs lovett was a sceptic just now but when it comes to devils mrs lawford i may be convinced about the other but devils well i've been in the city nearly twenty-five years and it's my impression human nature can raise all the devils we shall ever need and another thing he added as if inspired and with an immensely intelligent blink is it just precisely that word in the revised version eh crick i'll certainly look it up danton but i take it that mrs lawford is not so much insisting on the word as on the-the manifestation and i'm bound to confess that the society for psychical research which has among its members quite eminent and entirely trustworthy men of science i am bound to admit they have some very curious stories to tell the old idea was you know that there are seventy-two princely devils and as many as seven million ah commoners it may very well sound quaint to our ears mrs lovett but there it is but whether that has any bearing on-on what you were saying danton i can't say perhaps mrs lawford will throw a little more light on the subject when she tells us on what precise facts her her distressing theory is based lawford had soundlessly stolen a pace or two nearer and by stooping forward a little he could each in turn scrutinise the little intent company sitting over his story around the lamp at the further end of the table Squatting like little children with their twigs and pins, fishing for wonders on the brink of the unknown. Yes, Mrs Lovett was saying, I quite agree, Mr Crake. Seventy two princes and no princesses. Oh, these masculine prejudices. But do throw a little more modern light on the subject, Sheila. I mean this, said Sheila firmly. When I went in for the last time to say good bye, and of course it was at his own wish that i did leave him and precisely why he wished it is now unhappily only too apparent i had brought him some money from the bank fifty pounds i think yes fifty pounds and quite by the merest chance i glanced down in passing at a book he had apparently been reading a book which he seemed very anxious to conceal with his hand arthur is not a great reader though i believe he studied a little before we were married And, well, I detest anything like subterfuge, and I set it out without thinking. Why, you're reading French, Arthur. He turned deathly white, but made no answer. And can't you even confide to us the title, Sheila? sighed Mrs. Lovett, reproachfully. Wait a minute, said Sheila. You shall make as much fun of the thing as you like, Betty, when I've finished. I don't know why, but that peculiar stealthy look haunted me why french i kept asking myself why french arthur hasn't opened a french book for years he doesn't even approve of the entente his argument was that we ought to be friends with the germans because they are more hostile never mind when ada came back the next evening and said he was out i came the following morning by myself and knocked no one answered and i let myself in his bed had not been slept in there were candles and matches all over the house one even burnt nearly to the stick on the floor in the corner of the drawing-room i suppose it was foolish but i was alone and just that somehow horrified me it seemed to point to such a peculiar state of mind i hesitated what was the use of looking further yet something seemed to say to me and it was surely providential go downstairs and there in the breakfast-room the first thing i saw on the table was this book a dingy ragged bleared patched-up oh a horrible a loathsome little book and i have read bits too here and there and beside it was my own little school dictionary my own child's she looked up sharply what was that did anybody call nobody i heard said danton staring stonily round it may have been the passing of the wind suggested mr craik after a pause peep between the blinds mr craik it may be poor mr bethany confronting pneumonia in the porch there's no one there mrs lovett said the curate returning softly from his errand please continue your your narrative mrs lawford we are panting for the devil my dear well i sat down and very much against my inclination turned over the pages it was full of the most revolting confessions and trials so far as i could see in fact i think the book was merely an amateur collection of-of horrors and the faces the portraits well then can you imagine my feelings when towards the end of the book about thirty pages from the end i came upon this gloating up at me from the table in my house before my very eyes she cast a rapid glance over her shoulder and gathering up her silk skirt drew out from the pocket beneath the few crumpled pages and passed them without a word to danton lawford kept him plainly in view as lowering his great face he slowly stooped and holding the loose leaves with both fat hands between his knees stared into the portrait then he truculently lifted his cropped head what did i say he said what did i say what did i tell old bethany in this very room what d'ye think of that mrs lovett for a portrait of arthur lawford what you make of that craik eh devil eh mrs lovett glanced with arched eyebrows and with her finger-tips handed the sheets on to her neighbour who gazed with a settled and mournful frown and returned them to sheila she took the pages folded them and replaced them carefully in her pocket she swept her hands over her skirts and turned to danton you agree she inquired softly it's like like it's the livin livid image the livin image he repeated stretching out his arm as he stood there that very night what will you say then said sheila quietly what will you say if i tell you that that man nicholas de sabathier has been in his grave for over a hundred years danton's little eyes seemed if anything to draw back even further into his head i'd say mrs lawford if you'll excuse the word that it might be a damn horrible coincidence i'd go farther an almost incredible coincidence but if you want the sober truth i'd say it was nothing more than a crafty clever abominable piece of trickery that's what i'd say oh you don't know mrs lovett when a scamp's a scamp he'll stop at nothing i could tell you some tales ah but that's not all said sheila eyeing them steadfastly one by one we all of us know that my husband's story was that he had gone down to witterstone into the churchyard for his convalescent ramble that story's true we all know that he said he had a fit a heart attack and that a kind of of stupor had come over him i believe on my honour that's true too but no one knows but he himself and mr bethany and i that it was a wretched broken grave quite at the bottom of the hill that he chose for his resting-place nor and i can't get the scene out of my head nor that the name on that one solitary tombstone down there was was this danton rolled his eyes i don't begin to follow he said stubbornly you don't mean said mr craik who had not removed his gaze from sheila's face i am not to take it that you mean mrs Lawford, the-the other yes said sheila his she patted her skirts sabathier's you mean said mrs lovett crisply that the man in the grave is the man in the book and that the man in the book is-is poor arthur's changed face sheila nodded danton rose cumbrously from his chair looking beadily down on his three friends oh but you know it isn't it isn't right he began lord i can see him now glassy yes that's the very word i said glassy it won't do mrs lawford on my solemn honour it won't do i don't deny it call it what you like yes devils if you like but what i say as a practical man is that it's just rank that's what it is bethany's had too much rope the time's gone by for sentiment and all that foolery mercy's all very well but after all it's justice that clinches the bargain there's only one way we must catch him we must lay the poor wretch by the heels before it's too late no publicity god bless me no we'd have all the rags in london on us "'They'd pillory us nine days on end. "'We'd never live it down. "'No, we must just hush it up. "'A home or something. An asylum! "'For my part?' "'He turned like a huge toad, his chin low in his collar. "'And I'd say the same if it was my own brother. "'And, after all, he is your husband, Mrs. Lawford. "'I'd sooner he was in his grave. "'It takes two to play at that game, that's what I say.' to lay himself open. I can't stand it. Honestly, I can't stand it. And yet, he jerked his chin over the peak of his collar towards the ladies, and yet, you say he's being fetched, comes creeping home, and is fetched at dark by a... a lady in a pony carriage. God bless me. It's rank. What? He broke out violently again what was he doing there in a cemetery after dark do you think that beastly frenchman would have played such a trick on craik here would he have tried his little game on me Deviltry be it if you prefer the word and all deference to you mrs lawford but i know this a couple of hundred years ago they would have burnt a man at the stake for less than a tenth of this ask Crake here i don't know how and i don't know when his mother i've always heard say was a little eccentric but the truth is he's managed by some unholy legerdemain to get the thing at his fingers ends that's what it is think of that unspeakable book left open on the table look at his ferguson game it's our solemn duty to keep him for good and all out of mischief it reflects all round there's no getting out of it we're all in it and tar sticks and then there's poor little alice to consider and-and you yourself mrs lawford i wouldn't give the fellow friend though he was in a way it isn't safe to give him five minutes freedom we've simply got to save you from yourself mrs lawford that's what it is and from old-fashioned sentiment "'and I only wish Bethany was here now to dispute it.' "'He stirred himself down, as it were, into his clothes, "'and stood in the middle of the hearth-rug, "'gently oscillating, with his hands behind his back. "'But at some faint rumour out of the silent house, "'his posture suddenly stiffened, and he lifted a little, "'with heavy, steady lids, his head. "'What is the matter, Danton?' said Mr. Crake in a small voice. "'Why are you listening?' i wasn't listening said danton stoutly i was thinking at the same moment at the creak of a footstep on the kitchen stairs lawford also had drawn soundlessly back into the darkness of the empty drawing-room while mr danton is thinking sheila mrs lovett was softly interposing do please listen a moment to me do you mean really that that frenchman the one you've pocketed is the poor creature in the grave yes mrs lawford said mr Craig, putting out his face a little are we to take it that you mean that it's the same date dear the same name even to the spelling what possibly else can i think and that poor creature in the grave actually climbed up out of the darkness and-well what i know no more than you do now betty but the two faces you must remember you haven't seen my husband since you must remember you haven't heard the peculiar the most peculiar things he arthur himself has said to me things such as a wife and not in jest betty i assure you and mr bethany interpolated mr craik modestly feeling his way pah bethany he'd back old nick himself if he came with a good tale we've got to act we've got to settle his hash before he does any mischief well began mrs lovett smiling a little remorsefully beneath the arch of her raised eyebrows i sincerely hope you'll all forgive me but i really am heart and soul with old nick as mr danton seems on intimate terms enough to call him dead he is really immensely alluring and alive i think awfully just awfully pitiful and empathetic but if i know anything of arthur he won't be beaten by a frenchman as for just the portrait i think do you know i almost prefer dark men she glanced up at the face immediately in front of the clock at least she added softly when they are not looking very vindictive i suppose people are fairly often possessed mr craik how many deadly sins are there as a matter of fact mrs lovett there are seven but i think in this case mrs lawford intends to suggest not so much that that her husband is in that condition habitual sin you know grave enough of course i own but that he is actually being compelled even to the extent of a more or less complete change of physiognomy to follow the biddings of some atrocious spiritual influence it is no breach of confidence to say that i have myself been present at a deathbed where the struggle against what i may call the end was perfectly awful to witness i don't profess to follow all the ramifications of the affair but though possibly mr danton may seem a little harsh such harshness if i may venture to intercede is not necessarily vindictive and and personal security is a consideration if you only knew the awful fear the awful uncertainty i have been in betty oh it is worse infinitely worse than you can possibly imagine i have myself heard the voice speak out of him a high hard nasal voice i've seen what mr danton calls the glassiness come into his face and an expression so wild and so appallingly depraved, as it were, that I have had to hurry downstairs to hide myself from the thought. I'm willing to sacrifice everything for my own husband and for Alice, but can it be expected of me to go on harbouring—' Lawford listened on in vain for a moment. Poor Sheila, it seemed, had all but broken down. "'Look here, Mrs. Lawford.' began danton huskily you really mustn't give way you really mustn't it's awful unspeakably awful i admit but here we are friends in the midst of friends and there's absolutely nothing what's that eh who is it oh the maid ada stood in the doorway looking in all i've come to ask ma'am she said in a low voice is am i to stay downstairs any longer "'And are you aware there's somebody in the house?' "'What's that? "'What's that you're saying?' broke out the husky voice again. "'Control yourself. Speak gently. What's that?' "'Begging your pardon, sir, "'I'm perfectly under control. "'And all I say is that I can't stay any longer alone downstairs there. "'There's somebody in the house.' A concentrated hush seemed to have fallen on the little assembly. "'Somebody? "'But who?' said sheila out of the silence you come up here ada with these idle fancies who's in the house there has been no knock no footstep no knock no footstep ma'am that i've heard it's dr ferguson ma'am he was here that first night and he's been here ever since he was here when i came on tuesday and he was here last night and he's here now i can't be deceived by my own feelings it's not right it's not outspoken to keep me in the dark like this and if you have no objection i would like to go home lawford in his utter weariness had nearly closed the door and now sat bent up on a chair wondering vaguely when this poor play was coming to an end longing with an intensity almost beyond endurance for the keen night air the open sky but still his ears drank in every tiniest sound or stir He heard Danton's lowered voice muttering his arguments. He heard Ada quietly sniffing in the darkness of the hall. And this was his world. This was his life's panorama, creaking on at every jolt. This was the must Grizzle had sent him back to, these poor fools, packed together in a panic at an old, stale tale. Well, they would all come out presently, and cluster and the crested cackling fellow would lead them safely away out of the haunted farmyard. He started out of his reverie at Danton's voice close at hand. "'Look here, my good girl. We haven't the least intention of keeping you in the dark. If you want to leave your mistress like this in the midst of her anxieties, she says you can go and welcome. But it's not a bit of good in the world coming up with these cock-and-bull stories. The truth is, your master's mad.' that's the sober truth of it hopelessly insane you understand and we've got to find him but nothing's to be said d'ye see it's got to be done without fuss or scandal but if there's any witness wanted or anything of that kind why here you are And, he dropped his voice to an almost inaudible hoot and well worth your while you did see him eh step into the trap and all that ada stood silent a moment i don't know sir she began quietly by what right you speak to me about what you call my cock and bull stories if the master is mad all i can say to anybody is i'm very sorry to hear it i came to my mistress sir if you please and i prefer to take my orders from one who has a right to give them did i understand you to say ma'am that you wouldn't want me any more this evening sheila had swept solemnly to the door Mr. Danton meant all that he said quite kindly, Ada. I can perfectly understand your feelings, perfectly. And I'm very much obliged to you for all your kindness to me in very trying circumstances. We are all agreed, we are forced to the terrible conclusion which— which Mr. Danton has just expressed, and I know I can rely on your discretion. Don't stay on a moment if you really are afraid. But when you say, someone, Ada, do you mean— someone like you or me or do you mean the other i've been sitting in the kitchen ma'am unable to move i'm watched everywhere the other evening i went into the drawing-room i was alone in the house and i can't describe it it wasn't dark and yet it was all still and black like the ruins after a fire i don't mean i saw it only that it was like a scene "'and then the watching. "'I am quite aware to some it may sound all fancy, "'but I'm not superstitious, never was. "'I only mean that "'I can't sit alone here. "'I daren't, "'else I'm quite myself. "'So, if so be, "'you don't want me any more, "'if I can't be of any further use to you "'or to, to Mr. Lawford, "'I'd prefer to go home.' "'Very well, Ada, thank you. "'You can go out this way.' The door was unchained and unbolted, and good night, said, and Sheila swept back in somber pomp to her absorbed friends. "'She's quite a good creature at heart,' she explained frankly, as if to disclaim any finesse, and almost quizzotically loyal. But what really did she mean, do you think? She is so obstinate, that maddening someone? one. How they do repeat themselves!' it can't be my husband not dr ferguson i mean you don't suppose oh surely not some one else again the dark silence of the house seemed to drift in on the little company mr craik cleared his throat i failed to catch quite all that the maid said he murmured apologetically but i certainly did gather it was to some kind of of emanation she was referring and the ruin you know i'm not a mystic and yet do you know that somehow seemed to me almost offensively suggestive of of demonic influence you don't suppose mrs lawford and of course i wouldn't for a moment venture on such a conjecture unsupported But even if this restless spirit let us call it did succeed in making a footing it might possibly be rather in the nature of a lodging than a permanent residence moreover we are i think bound to remember that probably in all spheres of existence like attracts like even the gadarene episode seems to suggest a possible multiplication he peered largely you don't suppose mrs lawford i think mr craik doesn't quite relish having to break the news sheila dear explained mrs lovett soothingly that perhaps sabathier's out which really is quite a heavenly suggestion for in that case your husband would be in wouldn't he just our old stolid arthur again you know and next mr craik is suggesting and it certainly does seem rather fascinating that poor ada's got mixed up with the frenchman's friends or perhaps even with one of the seventy-two princes royal i know women can't or mustn't reason mr Danton, but you do i hope just catch the drift danton started i wasn't really listening to the girl he explained nonchalantly shrugging his black shoulders and pursing up his eyes personally mrs lovett i'd pack the baggage off to-night box and all but it's not my business you mustn't be depressed must he mr craik after all my dear man the business as you call it is not exactly entailed but really sheila i think it must be getting very late mr bethany won't come now and the dear old thing ought certainly to have his say before we go any further oughtn't he mr Danton? so what's the use of worrying poor ada's ghost any longer and as for poor arthur i haven't the faintest desire in the world to hear the little cart drive up simply in case it should be to leave your unfortunate husband behind it sheila what it must be to be alone all night in this house with a dead and buried frenchman's face well i shudder dear and yet mrs lovett said mr craik with some little show of returning bravado as we make our bed you know but in this case you see she replied reflectively if all accounts are true mr craik it's manifestly the wicked frenchman who has made the bed and sheila who refu But look, Mr. Danton is fretting to get home. If you'll all go to the door, said Danton, seizing a fleeting opportunity to raise his eyebrows more expressively even than if he had again shrugged his shoulders at Sheila, I'll put out the light. The night air flowed into the dark house as Danton hastily groped his way out of the dining room. There's only one thing, said Sheila slowly. When I last saw my husband, you know, he was, I think the least bit better he was always stubbornly convinced it would all come right in time that's why i think he's been spending his his evenings away from home but supposing it did for my part said mrs lovett breathing the faint wind that was rising out of the west i'd sigh i'd rub my eyes i'd thank god for such an exciting dream and i'd turn comfortably over and go to sleep again i'm all for arthur absolutely back against the wall for my part said danton looming in the dusk friend or no friend i'd cut the-i'd cut him dead but don't fret mrs lawford devil or no devil he's gone for good and for my part began mr craik but the door at that moment slammed voices however broke out almost immediately in the porch and after a hurried consultation lawford in his stagnant retreat heard the door softly reopen and the striking of a match and mr craik followed closely by danton's great body stole circumspectly across his dim chink and the first adventurer went stumbling down the kitchen staircase i suppose muttered lawford turning his head in the darkness they have come back to put out the kitchen gas danton began a busy tuneless whistle between his teeth coming Crake? he called thickly after a long pause apparently no answer had been returned to his inquiry he waited a little longer with legs apart and eyeballs enveloped in brooding darkness i'll just go and tell the ladies you're coming he suddenly bawled down the hollow do you hear craik they're alone you know and with that he resolutely wheeled and rapidly made his way down the steps into the garden some few moments afterwards mr craik shook himself free of the basement hastened at a spirited trot to rejoin his companions and in his absence of mind omitted to shut the front door chapter twenty two